Hey, Devils fans, On the Line is a weekly auction series featuring unique Prudential Center and Devils items. Proceeds from the On the Line weekly auction series will benefit the Devils Care Foundation to help support its goal of providing life-changing opportunities for young people who live and play in New Jersey's most challenged neighborhoods. With a focus on community outreach, food assistance, and educational development. To bid on this week's item, visit NewJerseyDevils.com slash on the line. Hello again, everyone. I'm Matt Lachlan, along with Chris Westcott. Welcome to this edition of Speak of the Devils. And Chris, I know we've turned the calendar page and fall is literally on the horizon just a few weeks away as summer winds down. But that means from a devil standpoint, getting close to a really critical part of the devil's offseason, which is the draft. And that's what we're going to talk about on this week's show. Oh, I'm just so excited. I mean, Maddie, you know me like every year, it's just draft, draft, draft. I'm so excited. It's the future of the NHL. It's so much fun, like watching film of these guys or talking with GM scouts or draft experts like our guest today. Uh, and then I know that fans love hearing from these outside sources as well. It's all for me accumulating information and just trying to dissect who could be an impact player on your roster or maybe who do you want to watch on another roster down the line too. So it's, it's a lot of fun. I love talking draft. It's great. Uh, the draft is the lifeblood of every organization and the devils have started to fill the pipeline. They'll get a great chance to do more of that with right now, three first round picks, including the number seven pick. There's a possibility they don't have a second round pick. They, only have one in the third, so maybe those late first-round picks can be packaged. Who knows what Tom Fitzgerald and the rest of the Devils' brain trust will do. But it means that all eyes will be fixed virtually on what takes place on October 9th. And what makes it exciting for me is, look, the league has done a magnificent job on the return to play, and it's been fun to watch playoff hockey, and it's been fun to see hockey in the summer. But the Devils... Important news, yes, naming a head coach and, and uh, as Tom said, ripping the bandage off the interim tag and he becomes the GM full-time. But in terms of hockey stuff, not all that much. So it'll be exciting to see this draft unfold and see what the Devils wind up doing. Well, I, I thought, Matt, we've talked about this a lot. I, I think Tom Fitzgerald nailed the trade deadline, uh, his first as a GM. I think so far, and we've talked to many experts who have kind of echoed these sentiments. I think he's passed every test he's had so far. I think the draft is the next big test. Uh, this one is very difficult if it's your first draft as a GM because you haven't had that hands-on experience with a lot of these prospects. You haven't really been on the road scouting a lot of these guys. You're going to have to rely on your team, your scouts, to make these decisions for you uh, and provide you with the information you need to make decisions. But I'm really interested to see what he does. He's got lots of assets. He's got three first-round picks. Does he use them all? Does he flip one for a player who's ready to make an impact now? You know, does he trade back, as you alluded to? Does he trade up? Who knows? I mean, this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm really interested to see that next growth step for Tom Fitzgerald as a GM. I think he's up to the task. Um, I'm excited for the opportunity that has presented itself. I, I agree with you by able by being able to make trades that resulted in acquiring those first-round picks, even though I know some Devils fans were hoping for certain outcomes, and I get that, but they do have assets, and, and that is a very valuable thing, those picks. And so we'll see what Tom and company are able to do. Here's the one thing that I know, though, 
And by the way, we should mention that uh, Chris Peters of ESPN will be joining us in just a second, uh, the expert extraordinaire. But unlike last year, when Championship Plaza went crazy, yes, Jack Hughes. Uh, and a few years before that, yes, there was the Nico Nolan uh, argument, but most fans, I think, were on the Nico side. So there was this huge amount of excitement. I think we're excited about who the Devils will pick. But the interesting part about seven in a deep draft is people have their own favorites, right? So some want oh, the yeah, Devils yeah. to go with defense, <laughs> some want forwards. Within that forward group, who has the best chance in, in the fans' mind to excel and, and be an NHL player? So there's going to be elation, and there'll be a group of fans who will say, oh, we missed the boat. But that's what being a fan's all about, you know, that emotion, that passion, and that love for the team and, and wanting the best for it. Well, I love it. And the, the, the best thing about this draft is universally – Everyone we've talked to says that no matter who they pick in that seven spot, they're going to be an impact player. Everyone is saying that like after one, maybe two, but even just after one, it's a toss up. So we, you know, the devils might be selecting a guy at seven that was in the four range of some mock drafts, or they might be drafting a guy at seven that was in the eight to 10, but that difference in you know, caliber of prospect is very small after one. And that's you basically universal of what we've been hearing. So I don't know who they're going to select, Maddie, because I don't know who's going to go in the top six. It's going to be a lot of fun seeing, but I know for a fact, Tom Fitzgerald's not the guy that's going to pick a guy that was ranked 52nd with the seventh overall pick. <laughs> He's going to get a guy who will eventually be an impact player on this roster. And I'm really excited to see who that is because it could be anybody. It really could. Yeah, uh, the definition of longevity for an NHL GM is complicated, but moving from 52 to 7, moving a prospect that high, that's not on the list, that's for sure. No. <laughs> <laughs> unless unless you absolutely nail it, but there's too much risk. Uh, so before we bring uh, Chris on, you've been at NHL drafts. I have not. This year, has, well, I was at the one at the Prudential Center. Uh, but more just watching as a, a fan employee of the Devils as opposed to reporting on it. Anyway, you've been at them. This year will be virtual. What do you like about all the action on the floor and the buzz that's in the oh. building and, and trying to get information and reporting on it? It's it's incredible. Uh, there was one year at a draft where um, I was covering the Edmonton Oilers and they made several uh, big trades um, in, in the first round. And I remember just watching the buzz around the table and watching the GM and the assistant GM running back and forth, someone going over to the, the trade center to put the trade in with the NHL. Uh, you're watching their right-hand men go talk to another team because they're pitting two teams against each other in a bidding war. And if you're tuned into that and you have the ability to watch it live, it's incredible. And if you see a team that has a lot of assets that's making moves and you're watching them work over there and then you're watching another team work over here and you're like, oh my God, you know, the Ottawa Senators and Detroit Red Wings are talking to each other. What's going on over there? You know, it's, it's so much fun. And I think that's something that's lacking with fans or media that they can't attend it. You can't really see that. So you don't know that all of the buzz and action that's going on. And unfortunately with this year, obviously like going virtual is what we expect. And we're, you know, they're not all going to be under the same roof. Um, you know, 
you're missing that. You're missing that live action. Instead, it's going to be a lot of phone calls. It's going to be a lot of text messages. It's going to be a lot of, um, you know, work digitally like that. But uh, that's one of the things I absolutely love. It's like a beehive, Maddie. It's a beehive. <laughs> and, it's, and it's fun to watch. Well, I think I speak for everyone when I look forward to the day that we have the draft with fans in attendance and all gathered under one roof, but that will not be the case this year. But that does not mean it's not a busy time for our content team because we've already started to bring you interviews and content regarding the draft, the prospects who are there. Now we're going to do another deep dive with our guest as we welcome in uh, one of the big experts on the draft side and prospect side to give us his thoughts on the Devils, where they might go, who they might go with as we welcome in Chris Peters of ESPN. And it's time now to welcome Chris Peters of ESPN to speak of the Devils. Chris, thanks for giving us some time. Uh, I know it's not quite the same outlook and position we would have found ourselves in a year ago, obviously, but I know time is very precious, and thanks very much for sharing it with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. So before we get into the draft a little bit and some names and maybe reflecting back on last year, et cetera, how is it that you've gotten to this position? What's the path that you travel to where now you are one of the voices in terms of prospects and the NHL draft? <laughs> it's a winding one. I'll tell you that much. I mean, you know, I, I started my hockey career at, with the club hockey team at Iowa State University where I went to school. So I was the broadcaster. I did the video for the coaches. I did a lot there. I hosted a TV show on the student access channel, like all that stuff. So that's kind of where I got my start and uh, really thankful for the team there to, to help me. And then I, I went from there to USA Hockey for three years. I started as an intern, worked at the National Team Development Program. That's really where my fascination with prospects began. I'm, I'm working with the best players in the country. You know, guys like uh, my first year there, Cam Fowler was there. Uh, you know, John Merrill, there were a lot of guys that, that were, you know, familiar to, to hockey fans now that were just starting out. And uh, it was, it was fascinating to kind of watch their development and growth. And so I, I really became fascinated by that. And after that, you know, actually my wife had a job change. So I, we moved to Iowa, we moved back to Iowa and I was like, what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to write about prospects, I guess. So I started doing that freelancing for a while. And, you know, through a series of lucky breaks, I, Ended up at CBS Sports for a period of time, and then uh, a couple of years later at ESPN, and could not be more thankful to to be there. And this is absolutely what I love. I love the NHL. I covered the NHL as well, uh, but to be able to cover prospects and and see the future of the game and see be on the front end, uh, that's really what I'm passionate about. I think that's crazy, Maddie. I, I was just thinking when he was talking about Iowa State hockey. I was with the University of Central Oklahoma hockey, and I was doing okay. play by play, and I was doing writing for them. So it's kind of a similar path in terms of you know, club hockey team, kind of like a unknown Midwest school, um, you know, in terms of hockey. And uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun to do that and kind of grow up that way. So I just wanted to say that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think we played UCO in their first year of oh, existence, yeah. too. So yeah, yeah, so yeah was, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> did you ever travel with them? We were, our paths might have crossed. I did travel. I didn't go to Central Oklahoma, but I did travel with okay. them, uh, you know, to national tournaments and stuff like that. And yeah, I mean, it was, it was crazy, you know, sleeper buses to, to Athens, Ohio and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, State College, Pennsylvania, you know, it, it was a, it was a really interesting experience. And I, I have nothing but respect for the guys that play club hockey because it's a great level of hockey and it's an opportunity for those guys to extend their competitive careers. And, we made the most of it. We tried to run ourselves like a D1 team and it was, it was a lot of fun to be a part of. 
And yeah, there's one, one thing about like the University of Central Oklahoma, their D2 program with all their other sports, but they were D1 of club hockey. And, and like you said, try and run it like a, a D1 NCAA club. And uh, they did a great job. But yeah, it's, it's just a, a fun path to come up. You think the AHL is a grind? Try covering the club hockey for a few years. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but it also shows that there are many ways to get to the positions that you both have. It's about hard work. It's about making a name for yourself, grinding it out using your reputation, making contacts, and then having them open a door for you. And then once it's open, man, blasting your way through. So a great lesson for anyone who's listening that uh, it doesn't have to be the traditional way to get uh, to the NHL, which is just uh, wonderful. So how different is this year in terms of evaluation? Season ended early. Europe is starting up. So another look at some of those guys, like how crazy is this and how certain can chief scouts and GMs be of what they're going to do in October? Yeah. You know, you would think with the extra time, it would make things easier. And, you know, obviously there's a huge emphasis on video scouting now, and there are some great you know, companies that have have really been on the forefront of, of providing that content to teams and making sure that they have the ability to watch these players shift by shift or, you know, full games. And so that's a huge development here. And it's going to be interesting to see how that affects scouting in the future, how much emphasis will be on video at that point. But there's no question that live views are the best way to get a feel for a player. And you didn't have as many of those this year, regardless of how much you went out and saw the teams in your area, because you miss big opportunities like the CHL playoffs, like the NCAA tournament, like the the World Under-18 Championship, which was going to be in Michigan this year. So you knew that like pretty much every GM was going to have a chance to have a firsthand look at some of the top talent in this draft in Plymouth, Michigan. And all of that got wiped out. So you have to use what's available to you. You have to really do a lot of work, I think, on the character of these players. How many of these guys are working out now? How are, are they staying in shape? Do they have the ability to? Some of these guys just don't even have the, the ability to get to a rink that has ice right now. So that's kind of a, a challenge that these guys have to go through. And then when you have the start of a new season, how do you compare that to all the information that you You've already collected about a player and they look great. They look better. Do do we move them ahead of a guy that we might have that's in the CHL that won't start until December? So those are the things that you have to kind of consider. And I think it's a huge challenge for teams to do that. It was one of the concerns that when they were considering a June draft, even though the season hadn't resumed, it was things like that that kind of came into play. But it is a very different year. The good news is, is that the players at the top of this draft are of a quality where you're going to get an impact prospect. I think it's going to hurt some of the middle-class guys a little bit more that didn't have a chance to make that last impression on a team. Uh, Just want to follow up before we really get into the meat and potatoes. Sure. Uh, Video coverage of games. I mean, it's more widespread than ever. My goodness. I can watch my local high school, uh, a wrestling match or a girls basketball game because it's, it's put up cameras in the gym, et cetera, and it's put up. So it's it's obviously come so far. But do, are those games, do you know, are, are those games such, uh, the, the material presented, that you can hone in on a certain player? Because if I'm at a, at a rink and I want to watch somebody, yeah, I got the broad view, but I want to see what happens when he's behind the puck, uh, when he loses the puck, does he hustle and get back into play? How, how much is missing? Uh, I don't think you'll ever replace the in-person view, but how much is missing just by the video side 
obviously there's a benefit to it. You can see more people, but I'm just wondering what it misses, what it needs to yeah, improve on. It, it does miss the stuff behind the play. It misses w- watching how a player can evaluate what's in front of him. Um, you see the defenseman behind the net. You don't see what's in front of the net, you know, like on those angles. So you're at the mercy of the angles of, of typically the television broadcast or the webcast. And in some cases, that's going to be a single camera situation. And that's, you know, it, that might actually be better for some people because you can see more of the ice, but you don't get that real close look at a player. And I, I you know, I think that it's, it's hard, you know, the, the nice thing that they do with these, with these systems now is that they cut players shift by shift. And so you can actually just, instead of watching a full game, you can just watch one player every shift. However, there are going to be times where he's out of frame. It's his shift, but he's out mm-hmm. of frame, you know? So it's, it's, those are the things that you kind of have to deal with. Um, but I think that the, you know, some of the companies that are providing more, you know, shot data and things of that nature where they're tracking games manually, that's really helpful. And, and, you know, I, I think, you know, I'd watch every guy, you could watch every shot that, that player took, which is usually a good way. Like with the forwards, if you're going to do simple video, don't watch just the goals, watch every shot they took and, and see what happened. And that, that's one of the nice things about the technology that you can do that. So it cuts time in half. It allows you to see more players, but again, you're not getting the full picture. I think that skating doesn't translate as well on video either. And I mean, you could probably get down to the nitty gritty by watching the video, but I think seeing that player live really is where that, that skill pops. What about the mental side too? I mean, I've had the pleasure of being inside a few combine interviews and I know that today they're more rehearsed, right? The agents have gotten to these players. So you really have to dig deep to get to know them on a more personal, intimate level and to kind of see what drives them. But you are missing that with no combine. You're missing that one-on-one interaction. And I feel like the Zoom, as we know, Maddie, we're on so many Zoom meetings and calls nowadays. You're missing that socialization with the player uh, what's missing in terms of the scouts well you know there are a couple of things i think the the first is is you know obviously that person to person interaction i think it's different the good news is that hopefully they've had area scouts that have have met a good chunk of these guys before everything got shut down um and that helps but that's not the gm meeting that player that's you're you're relying on somebody else's opinion and so that's that's something that's missing is that the gm typically is going to be most involved in that combine process where they are the ones that, that can kind of conduct the interview and, and really get down to the, the, the player. And that that's where some of the decisions are made of this guy's on our list and we're locking them in. This is who we want. Um, and yeah, I think in the zoom situation, it is completely different. It, it, you know, I think that the, the player is in a much more comfortable setting. I think it helps when they're a little uncomfortable, you kind of let their guard down a little bit. I think that's why that they throw weird questions at players too, to see how they handle themselves when they're off balance. And I, you know, hopefully they're always appropriate questions, I, you know, but there are those, some of those weird questions that are like, sometimes it's like a math problem or it's, it's, you know, it's about, <laughs> are you a fruit you or a vegetable? It could, <laughs> yeah. It could even be, what did you have for lunch? today like it, and that's just a like one of those things where you're just like okay well that's different um but you you kind of ask those questions and it matters i think one of the most important things missing from the combine it's not the physical testing it's the medical testing and not having a centralized medical testing situation where it's an independent doctor that's looking at certain things i mean you look at back and and there are the like you know the more dramatic situations like david carl who had a, a heart condition discovered at the combine and his career ended because of that but but it's more, you know, you kind of some, some of the strength and conditioning coaches can kind of hone in on some of the different things that, that, that aren't 
up to par or, you know, maybe they don't project very well in terms of some certain physical situations or maybe like a Hendricks LaPierre who, who, who had injuries this year, a chance to get a clean bill of health from an independent doctor. Um, so those are the types of things that, that are missing that are important about the combine. Um, you know, the, the physical testing probably being one of the least important things that happens there. I think the interviews and the, the medical part are the most important things. Well, the player you just mentioned is intriguing and probably a late first round. Maybe he'll slide down to the second because of the injuries and what have you. But that leads us to names. So uh, (laughs) you recently put out uh, on ESPN Plus, by the way, you have to be a subscriber, uh, a a look at uh, your mock draft, uh, at least uh, through uh, the early goings. Tell Devils fans who are listening where you see New Jersey uh, picking at number seven, who they'll be picking and you know, what possibilities you see of players maybe moving, sliding a little bit, what opportunities exist for the Devils? Yeah, well, I, you know, it's kind of always fascinating when you sit down and do a mock draft because, you know, you're, there's a lot of projecting and a lot of assumptions going on. I've never had a team say, I am definitely picking this player. <laughs> and, you know, like that's, I, I'm never going to get that information. You can kind of try to nibble around the edges. So, the Devils are in a really interesting position here because nobody, there's really not a huge consensus at after number one, I think everybody agrees Alexi Lafreniere is going to go number one to the Rangers or, you know, unless that pick gets moved or whatever, you know, like he's going to be the number one pick. So then it goes, okay, who comes next? And now you're going to see those guys kind of slide and Ottawa holds a lot of the keys to the remainder of the draft. They have the third and fifth picks. They could go forward defensemen. They could go two forwards. It really changes the entire dynamic of how the rest of things go. So spoiler for the ESPN plus piece I had Lucas Raymond, who is actually my fourth ranked prospect falling to the devils at seven. And that is like, you know, the interesting thing there is that there's not a huge consensus. So it it, it could happen like where a Lucas Raymond is available in that range. And I think what you have with him is a highly talented wing, very skilled, creative player uh, played for Ferlunda in, in the SHL, which is one of the best developmental teams in the entire Swedish you know, federation essentially played a limited role. So his numbers there weren't great played, you know, kind of a middle six, you know, or top six role for Sweden. Didn't get quite get the minutes of some of the more experienced players, but was a huge player. There was a superstar at last year's under 18 world championship where he scored a hat trick in the gold medal game to beat Russia. And Sweden had never won that tournament before they won it on home ice. So he's a fascinating player to me. I think he's exactly the kind of player that the Devils need. Now, he's not a huge guy. I think that there's, it'd be nice if there was a bigger player. You know, maybe and that means that you like Alexander Holtz better than Lucas Raymond, who's, a, who's bigger. He's a goal scorer. He would fit really nicely with, say, a Jack Hughes. You know, put him with a playmaker like Raymond is, and they played a lot together on the Swedish national team. Raymond would, you know, feed Holtz pucks, and he would just hammer him into the net. So those are two guys that I think are very viable options there. And then you think you know, is maybe Cole Perfetti, a more dynamic kind of Patrick Kane type wing where he can slow the game down. He can make plays. He can gain the zone. He's probably got some of the best hands, if not the best hands in the draft. Um, Again, you know, he's not a huge guy. He's a pretty average sized player. So those are the types of discussion you have to have. Then you look at defensemen and I'm just rambling here, but that's because there are so many good options, but you've got Jake Sanderson and Jamie Drysdale. One of those two guys could very well be there. And then you have a decision to make because they're elite defensemen. And I think that, you know, I personally like the forwards a bit better than both of them, but I think they're also 
such good players that you can't go wrong with either one of them. And I think, you know, more well-rounded defenseman with Jake Sanderson, you get a little bit more of a dynamic element with Jamie Drysdale. Um, you know, so there's a lot of factors to consider there, but those are the types of names that you're going to be hearing. I, I haven't even mentioned Marco Rossi who led the, C, the OHL in scoring this season. And uh, you know, is a center again, an undersized player, but a, a dynamic talent. So, you know, those are the types of names you have to kind of throw around and you're like, wow, if we're sitting at seven, we're feeling pretty good about the options available to us. So that first pick is really going to set the tone for, for what, no matter who New Jersey takes in that slot, they've got their number one prospect in their prospect pool. For you, uh, I want to, I want to hear a little bit more about Rossi because when we talked with uh, TSN's Craig Button, he mentioned him as maybe one of like two players in this draft who could potentially play in the NHL this year. Uh, just meaning that he's already played against men and he has that kind of skill set to maybe transition quicker to the pro game in North America. What are your thoughts on him and how, how quickly he could be ready uh, to be an impact player in the NHL or at least be able to hold his own? Yeah, well, you know, Marco Rossi, he, he's not tall, but he's incredibly strong. His, his lower body is incredibly strong and explosive. You know, he's not necessarily the fastest skater, but he is so solid on his skates and he engages physically and he gets after pucks and he has kind of like a bulldog mentality. Those are the reasons that I think Craig is probably right, that he has an opportunity. I don't think there are very many players in this draft that could play right away outside of Lafreniere. But Rossi is one of those guys where you bring him in camp and he is going to try and force his way onto that roster. He's dominated at the junior level. I don't think there's a lot more that he can do there. I think if he does end up, you know, not playing in the NHL next season, he'll play in Europe more than likely, which should be very good for his development um, either way. But I, you know, I think that he's the kind of guy that could force the issue, especially with the late camps. It has only given him more time to get stronger, to get better, to, you know, and, and he'll have an opportunity you know, to potentially play in Europe before, you know, if he decides to do that, to come over. So I think that is one option where you say, hey, this is a guy that could be ready soon. The question that, you know, some teams that I've talked to had is how many five foot nine centers are there in the NHL? And there aren't a ton, but they, but they, you know, you look great. Braden Point is not exactly a tall guy, but he's dominating the playoffs right now. And, and, could, could Marco Rossi be that kind of player? I mean, it's, it's certainly possible based on how skilled he is, but yeah, he's a really intriguing player. And, you know, I, I think I ended up having him eighth on my mock draft and he, he's just one of those guys where he could go just about anywhere. Um, and it wouldn't surprise me because opinions are all over the map on him right now. It's funny because I think of successful players who are short in stature, but thick as Rossi is now, I'm thinking from a devil's perspective and they're wingers, but a Zach Parisi who some questioned what he would do in the NHL because he wasn't very big, isn't very big. Uh, Brian Gianta, uh, but the center position does change things. And, but I think it's Scott Gomez who wasn't exactly the tallest guy in the world. He's, he's bigger uh, than Rossi is, but you know, sometimes you have to throw, you have to throw the height out and just say, where's the skill? And we've seen some great things from Marco Rossi. I know, Chris, you, uh, Chris Westcott, we're talking to two Chris's today, but <laughs> Chris Westcott, I, I, know, uh, I know you remember from our draft lottery show, we had Chico Resch on, and he has so many contacts from his long association with this game. And he said, you know, Marco Rossi was a name that kept popping out when he was talking to his friends in the scouting world, like, this guy's 
got it. So, uh, yeah, certainly one of those interesting characters in every draft. What separates uh, Chris Peters? What separates uh, Jamie Drysdale from Jake Sanderson? Because I think Devils fans, for the most part, based what I read and uh, those to whom I speak, they want the Devils to go with a defenseman. So what separates those two? Yeah, well, they're they're really interesting talents. They are different. I mean, you know, and, and Jamie Drysdale is, is a much more dynamic player. You know, he played on Canada's World Junior Team, which is really rare for a 17-year-old, uh, at least at the defense position. And, you know, he played really well. He wasn't, you know, he, he didn't play big minutes, but when Bowen Byram was out, he stepped up and played really well. Um, you know, I think defensively, he still has work to do. He has to get stronger. Uh, but uh, an incredible skater, dynamic, you know, skating ability. I mean, you know, you think about the way that Quinn Hughes can kind of dominate a game right now. I think Drysdale has that potential. He's got to get to another level before he can be on that on that same par. Uh, but that's kind of what he brings. The difference for me, and I have I have Jake Sanderson just ahead of of Drysdale on my personal board. It's one spot. I think they're neck and neck. The difference for me, the separating factor is that Jake Sanderson is a, is a much better defender, a much more well-rounded defender. He's physical. He has incredible gap control. He's a much, you know, what where, where Drysdale is a dynamic skater, Sanderson is a powerful speed skater where he can just absolutely close gaps. He, he gets back quickly. You know, there's been some doubt about his offensive game, but one of the last games that, last events that he played in was a Five Nations tournament in February, just before everything kind of went kaput. And he led that turn tied for the tournament lead in scoring there um, and was dynamic on the power play made, you know, he showed a great shot. Uh, you know, he makes great passes, outstanding outlets. I think his brain is, is, is super impressive in terms of his intelligence at, at both ends of the ice. You know, his dad is Jeff, Jeff Sanderson who played in the NHL for a long time speedy skater as well. I mean, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree in that regard, but I, you know, I think that if you're looking for a guy that can be on your blue line for years and years and years, I, I feel more comfortable projecting Jake Sanderson as a top pairing defenseman than I do Jamie Drysdale. I think both have at least potential to be in that top pairing conversation. Um, and if you, if that's what you get, then you've, you know, that's a really hard thing to come by. So to have each of those players, I, you know, there's a good chance that at least one of them will be available at seven. Um, but yeah, in my mock draft, neither were. So who knows? You know, I mean, like that's the way it can go, uh, you know, because I think the Ducks that are ahead of the, the Devils very well could look defense when they've had a lot of forwards in their in their draft in recent years. So there are things that, you know, can play out there. But two fascinating players. I think if you get either one, you've got, you know, a potential number one defenseman down the line. Have to be patient, let them develop. But, but they're very intriguing prospects. Maddie, every time we talk to a draft expert, I think at least one, there's always a red light that goes off when they're saying something. And when he's talking about Sanderson, I'm going, oh, the devils could use that. <laughs> that, that, would, that would be really good. And, and you know, I, I want to talk to you, you know, since you know all of these prospects, you know all these guys in the draft. I mean, Kevin Ball is a, is a guy that comes over in the Taylor Hall trade. Um, maybe towards the end of the season, we're not talking about him as much, but then now we're starting to take a closer look at him because he's turning pro. And he's that shut down, physical, large defender that Devils fans have been crying for for a while. I wanted to get your thoughts on him as a prospect for the Devils. You know, he really popped this season in a way that I didn't even expect. And to see the way that he developed over the course of since his draft, I, I thought when he was picked, I thought that the, the Coyotes reached 
on that pick because I didn't see enough of a of a of an element. You know, most defensemen you can't just be a pure shutdown defenseman anymore. You have to be able to move the puck. You have to be able to make plays. I think Kevin Ball has become that, and that that's really one of those things where he has grown into that part of his game. He, you know, he played for Canada. He's he's gets a big you know a big opportunity to play a big role. He goes up against top lines. You know, he has that physicality. I think his skating has immensely improved over the last couple of years where he's, you know, become a much more limber skater and, and really uses his frame well. Um, I think he's still trying to figure out how to use that big body of his. And, and so that's going to take some development and some extra strength training and just trying to make sure that he's, he's you know, kind of uh, finished off there. But really, you know, I, I look at what the Devils did last season and kind of this rebuild process of, or, you know, not really rebuilding, but trading away pieces of, of value and, and what they got back was pretty important. And I think Kevin Ball, Nolan Foote, like guys like that are going to be NHL players. I mean, I think they project very favorably to the NHL. And I think Ball is a guy that he could be, you know, a maybe top four if he's not. And if he's in your bottom pairing, I mean, you need those guys too. <laughs> you need, you need defensemen. And I think that his development trajectory has really surprised me in a very positive way. And I think that devil's fans should, you know, I think he is a bit of what they need in terms of a more physical, big presence on the back end who can defend and a guy that's not going to be completely inept when he has the puck on his stick. And Tom Fitzgerald has talked about that need to get bigger and tougher mm-hmm. on the back end, and ball would project to exactly what the devils need and uh, what the GM has seconded. What other prospects in the Devils system stand out for you that fans should keep an eye on or who's coming up late that people have kind of overlooked, but as you've looked at them, you go, you know what? Paul may be an example where you feel they overshot uh, Phoenix or Arizona did in drafting him who might be coming up the list. So kind of a few questions all in one. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I, I think everybody should be really excited about Nolan foot and, and getting, getting a player like that. I think that he's, he's one of those guys that, that the devils could use because he's got the size factor. He's got the, you know, he's got the, the it factor, I think in terms of the character, the physicality, the ability to, you know, kind of change the game on a single shift with a big hit or a big goal. You know, he has that kind of dual threat element of, you know, he can kind of punch you in the mouth, also hurt you on the scoreboard. And I, I think that he's a player that, that I've, I was lower on in his draft season that I've really come to, uh, uh, to, to enjoy the way that he plays. And, you know, another guy that that's really unheralded that I think is going to be worth watching for a few years. And then Chris, I think I even mentioned this to you at the draft last year is uh, Patrick Moynihan. And, you know, he plays at Providence college and that's been a place where they've really developed solid pro players. Um, and it's, it's taken them a while to kind of get, uh, you know, to, to, to have that ability, but Nate Lehman is a coach that you hear a lot about in the mix for potential, uh, for potential NHL jobs because of the, what he's done with some of the players there. And you think of, you know, some of the NHLers that have kind of come up through there, they're not always superstars, but they're guys that help you at the bottom of the lineup, guys like Brandon Tanev, um, you know, and, and, and people like that, 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 make can make an impact so I think guys like that are worth watching and obviously Riley Walsh you know a guy that that's now in the system and can develop within under the devil's eye I think that that's 
you know, I, I think he's going to need some time. He's going to need some development time, but I was really impressed with the kind of the growth and development that he showed. He's kind of similar to what the devils have, you know, I think like in the Ty Smith in the Will Butcher range, you know, kind of somewhere in that mix, but maybe he's, you know, a cheaper option down the line um, that kind of helps you in, in the depth and kind of can help your power play and be a point producer and obviously a, a tremendous skater as well. And so, you know, I think that's one of the themes that you'll see, with a lot of the devil's prospects at this point is getting quicker on top of getting bigger. You know, they've got a lot of guys like that. And O'Reilly Walsh really is a guy that can, can help you in the transition game. I think Chris Peters hit it on the head with Patrick Moynihan. Everything I've heard is he's a guy that probably won't be talked about until he's in your training camp. And then he'll have a long NHL career, which is great. Cause you need to hit on those players later on in the draft. I'm interested in your thoughts on Yanni Kokonen. Because when he came over in the Carolina trade, uh, Tom Fitzgerald seemed very happy with that return. He's had a great stellar AHL career so far. He's shown he can be an impact player on that level. He hasn't had much opportunity in the NHL, but Tom Fitzgerald called it basically getting a second round pick. So that's pretty high praise for a guy who was already taken in the second round, but he's almost ready to make that transition. What do you think of him? Yeah, I mean, I think he should be on the NHL roster next season. I mean, the way, assuming that he he's done well this offseason and you know, I think you look at what Carolina built over there and, and, and they, they didn't have a spot for him. They just didn't have a spot for him. And I think he, he's the kind of guy that, that will make an impact. And, and he does so many little things. Well, you know, there's the, there's offensive elements to his game. There's physical elements to his game. There's a little bit of power there as well. And, and, and kind of, you know, the, the, his ability to play down low, good battle, you know, good compete, all those buzzwords that you want to throw out there. Like he has all of those things and that's, the benefit of the American hockey league as well. I mean, I think that when those players from Europe come over the transition to the NHL is almost easier than it is to the, than it is in the AHL level, because at least you're insulated by players of a, of a certain skill set, and they can kind of cover up different things in the AHL, all the warts show, and then you have to work your game to a certain level to be able to be an NHL player. I think that that's what he's done over the, the past few years. And I thought that when, when I saw that trade come in, I was like, that is going to be a sneaky good return for the Devils just because he's he's a guy that has already put in the time. So you're not going to have to spend a lot of time developing him and waiting for him. I just think he's a guy that should challenge for a spot right away. Do you like the comparisons of – you talked about him a little bit already, but Nolan Foote, do you like the comparisons of him to being Blake Coleman? I mean, a similar player to a Blake Coleman? Uh, it, it, that's when he was involved in that trade, obviously. But, uh, I mean, I kind of like that a lot. I mean, you're, you're replacing a really good player with a guy who has a similar skill set. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there's no question that the Devils are going to miss Blake Coleman, and obviously the Lightning are reaping the rewards of, of such a good player. And, and what, a, what a great development story Blake Coleman is as well in terms of you know, just the patience that he had to have uh, developing his game. But I think with, with Nolan Foote, yes, you've got a physical element. You've got the snarl. You've got a guy that will be responsible defensively. You've got a guy that will, will play in all areas, in all situations. Um, and, and he has a fantastic shot. You know, I think that that was one of the things that I vastly underrated. He was injured during his draft season. Nobody in the media, at least, I'm sure the scouts knew, but I didn't know that he had played most of the season with, with I think, a broken hand or a broken wrist. And, to you know, that obviously is going to impact the player's shot, right? So when I saw him this year and the way that he fires the puck and, you know, some of the goals that he scored, 
It's like, oh, you know, so I can see that where that Blake Coleman, like, you know, Blake Coleman is a sneaky, good goal scorer, you know, and he, he can put the puck in the net. And I think Nolan Foot is in similar regard in a, in a bigger package. So that, that helps as well. So last year, the Devils draft Jack Hughes, number one overall. And though he needs to get bigger and he acknowledged that, and we all understand that going from the national team program to the NHL is an enormous leap. And I think we saw the transition. Uh, but there's no question that the Devils are thrilled that they have him. And they should you? be. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, he's got, <laughs> he's got all the compete, the requisite skills. There's no doubt. Yeah. There's no reason to worry about him as a selection. And then, of course, the Rangers take Capo Caco number two. What I'm getting at is, as you go through last year's draft, is there, even in the early going, a redraft in your mind, Chris? Not one that replaces Jack Hughes. No, 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 pick. no, no. Yeah. But I'm just, <laughs> you know, anyone who jumped up from 17 just to pick a number that maybe oh, would have gone yeah, high. Like yeah, absolutely. Kind of absolutely. If we look at last year's draft, I think the guy that, that popped the most was Nick Robertson, uh, who played for the Toronto Maple Leafs this year. And I had him, I mean, I don't want to toot my own horn here, but I had him come as on, a first-round player. This is your plan. Uh, I, had him, yeah. this is your I think I had him at 19th last, last uh, in my final draft. He ended up going, you know, 52nd, I believe. And he played in the playoffs this year for the Maple Leafs. I mean, you know, and, and he had 55 goals for the Peterborough Peets. And when, you know, he's one of those guys that was a little bit undervalued because of size and there were skating concerns. Um, you know, and then he, he also had some injuries. So he, he kind of, his production was a little soft for, for a pre-draft and the Maple Leafs used their first pick of the whole draft on him. They thought they got a first round pick based on that. So he's the guy that, that has really popped in. And I mean, I also want to say, you know, Kirby doc who went number three, a lot of people were surprised that the Blackhawks took him at number three. I wasn't that surprised because I liked him a lot. Um, but he really popped this year and popped particularly in the playoffs. So, I mean, those are guys that, you know, are, are showing early that teams made pretty good decisions on, on getting them. Yeah. Doc has impressed me uh, or impressed me. Now Chicago's out. Yeah. Boy, you look at him and you say, boy, they got a good one. No doubt. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I uh, one more for me here. Uh, I, I find myself a lot lately. We're talking about all these young players that are coming up with the New Jersey Devils. There's one guy we have not talked about at all who had big expectations last year, but had to adjust to the North American game. Jesper Bokefist. I'm I'm I've been thinking a lot of him this summer because I think sneakily he's flying under the radar. And if he does all the right things this summer, I could see him being an impact player in the NHL this year. But I'm I'm curious to what your opinion is of him. I, I, I certainly think he could be. I mean, he's got the tools. There's no question. I mean, he, and, he, and he has the track record. I, mean, I think, you know, one thing where the Devils are right now as an organization and where they were as a team last year, I mean, I think it's tough. For, it's a tough environment for a guy to potentially, you know, that's just getting started in North America to come in. And, I mean, we saw it with Jack Hughes too. You know, you can't – there's only so much that you can do at that stage of your career on a team that you know is struggling and they're trying to find their way and they're going through these changes but but what what we're seeing now is that they're they're those are going to be the guys that lead the next generation of this team and, and you know i think boquist absolutely can be a part of that um you know i i think he's a guy that is going to require patience development um you know there's there i think there's the mental side of the game is going to have to be something that's worked on specifically with him. I think that there's sometimes where, you know, the hockey sense has been a concern and just the decision-making. So I think, but, but I do think that 
the skill set, the physical tools that he has, the, the you know the the actual puck skills that he has, the ability to shoot that he has, there it, it's hard for those guys. You know, as long as they have the desire and as long as they have the work ethic to get there, they're going to find a way. And I think he's one of those guys that just needs a little extra attention, and his, his game will open up as as time goes on. And it's going to be a little struggle, but you know, we see guys that take longer to rev up. They put up big numbers in Europe, and then you know. They come over here and it's, it's just slow going. As I mentioned, you know, if you're in the AHL, it can be a little bit more difficult to kind of put up numbers and things like that. But I, I, you know, I think he's one of those guys that will, will be, you know, at worst, you know, scoring depth. And that's something that you can't really have enough of. Well, on that note, we'll wrap up our uh, Q&A with uh, Chris Peters of ESPN. Chris, thanks so much. I know fans are anxious for that second Friday in October, which kicks off the draft virtual, though it will be. And I know you've whetted their appetite even more. Thanks so much for your time. Hey, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Well, I've read his stuff and I've seen Chris on the air before, but that's the first time I've had a chance to speak with him. His encyclopedic knowledge of not only the devil's prospect, which is amazing. He's got to know about the draft, but he had such depth and detail about who the devils have. Boy, what a great resource and what a great guest. Yeah, it's crazy. You know, I had followed him for a long time, obviously part of the hockey world on Twitter and I've, I've read and watched his stuff, but last year in Vancouver was the first time I actually went up to him. I was like, Hey, I introduced myself. And, uh, we actually talked for a video segment on NewJerseyDevils.com as well. But even just talking with him off camera, I mean, him being able to recall moments from seasons past of a player or with Jack Hughes having the the foresight to kind of be like, temper enthusiasm for year one. He's going to need this, this, and this. When everyone else is like, this guy's amazing. Like, he's great. And it kind of it clicks in your head. Like, yeah, it does take time to develop. And yeah, he is. His predictions on prospects have usually been pretty dead on. Um, I like reading his rankings of the players because he's not afraid to go against the grain where, you know, a lot of people kind of compile the rankings and they kind of adjust accordingly, but he talks to GMs constantly. Uh, he talks to scouts constantly. So very similar in that regard to like, a, a you know, a Bob McKenzie in terms of he's taking his information from multiple sources. And like you said, he's compiling it into his encyclopedia brain and, uh, what he produces is always great to read. And, um, you know, like you said, I mean, his insight on Nolan Foot and Kevin Ball is, is unique, and it was fun to have him on the podcast for sure. Yeah, without a doubt, and we do appreciate his time. It is a busy period, even though we're doing everything remotely. For him, it's a very busy period, and so for him to give us 35, 40 minutes is, is really awesome. You know what I like? I mean, he was a little reluctant. That's kind of a hockey trait, right? Humble. <laughs> but, you know, he nailed Nick Robertson, and that's, and that's great. And the truth of the matter is, right? Guys hit home runs in drafts, GMs hit home runs in draft, and sometimes their swings and misses. It's just the nature of it, which is what makes it so exciting. You really don't know. There are certainly surefire NHL caliber players, but to what level in the NHL they'll perform? Will they be top line, top pair? Uh, will they be all-stars? Will they just be very solid players? Nobody knows. Patrice Bergeron mm-hmm. wasn't picked in the first round. I mean, there's so many examples. Like, just enjoy the process, be excited for the fact that the Devils are in good hands with their scouting staff. I think we've seen that. Uh, And with Tom Fitzgerald uh, at the helm overseeing everything as the GM. So Devils fans have to be excited. Don't know who we're going to get. Don't know how we'll 
turn those three picks, whether into first rounders and keep them or move them to something else, what will happen between now and the draft? But we know that the Devils continue to move forward in the process, and that's awesome. Absolutely. And the one thing I love about talking with Tom Fitzgerald uh, as GM is that he is open about talking about, I'm projecting ceiling, not the prospect currently. Uh, a lot of GMs around the league, if you talk to them ahead of the draft, it's it's basically cookie cutter. It's uh, best player available, best player available. Well, what does that mean? And to Tom Fitzgerald, when he peels back the curtain a little bit, that means I'm projecting where this guy is going to be five to 10 years from now. I'm not projecting where he is next year. I know it takes some players longer to develop, but where they are ultimately is going to leave the biggest mark on our team. So when we talk about that, let's take it in the lens of pick number seven. If he picks a guy that was maybe a little bit lower on a fans list, maybe that's because he thinks two, three, four, five years from now, that guy's going to be a stud and he might vault over that kind of prospect and make a bigger impact on the team. So I want to, I'm really looking forward to seeing who he takes, whether or not they pick with all three picks whatever it is, I know that they're in pretty good hands in terms of their scouting department. And I'm looking forward to learning more about what that ceiling of those prospects is and what they expect them to be long-term. October 9th, the uh, scheduled date for the start of the 2020 NHL draft. Who would have thought that a year ago, but that is the world that we live in. Okay. We'll end it with this. I know you're not going to make the pick and neither you (laughs) nor I have a seat at that table, but Where do you think the Devils are going? Uh, Defense, forward, what do you think? Um, I can tell you where my heart is. I I can tell you what I'm thinking after all of these prospect interviews with uh, scouts and GMs and whatnot. I I love the idea of a Cole Perfetti. Uh, When you hear the the comparables to uh, Artemi Panarin and to Patrick Kane, like I said, when we were talking with Chris Peters, that red light is just flickering, Mm -hmm. flashing. I'm really excited about that. If... Jake Sanderson is considered in their mind to be a top two defender and to be that shutdown guy that's going to be on your roster for 10, 15 years, whatever it is. I'm starting to lean towards that could be a great pick for them. I understand that there's some uh, conversation uh, amongst our fan base and whatnot that he would be uh, a reach at seven. I don't think so. I, I think that uh, he's been rocketing up draft boards. We see in terms of what Chris Peters was talking about him, he had him within his top eight. So, uh, you know, I think that that could be a pick for them as well. But if you're telling me where my heart is, I think the three prospects I'm looking at right now are Cole Perfetti, uh, Jake Sanderson, and Alexander Holtz. Those are the guys that I really, really like. But I wouldn't rule out a Marco Rossi. We've heard really great things about him. So uh, just a lot of great – it could be anybody, honestly. Yeah, I mean, anybody yeah, within the top draft. 15 – yeah, it's it's really cool to see. It's really cool when there's mystery. When the, when it's like one, two, three, four, five, six, we know who these guys are going to be. It's kind of boring to me. I'm really looking forward to seeing who goes in the top six, and and then ultimately which prospects the Devils come away. Yeah, I'm I'm a Jake Sanderson guy. I, I think that he's got the upside from everything that I read, and and I think as you said, he's rocketed up draft boards. I think he is what the Devils need in terms of physicality, and he's got the bloodlines. And then if he were to fall. Based on my good friend Chico Resch's uh, insight <laughs> and and a lot of what Chris just told us, uh, you know, Marco Rossi, should he slide down because of his size, teams would overlook him. Uh, I think it's just a listen. He he's a great player. He's a great player. Yeah. So that's uh, everything that, we're hearing. Yep. That yep. those would be my two. At any rate. That's what the draft's all about, speculation between now and then. And then, of course, uh, we'll get the uh, the final night and the 
picks and we'll see where the devils wind up. That'll wrap things up for Speak of the Devils for this edition. For Chris Westcott, I'm Matt Lachlan. Thanks so much for your company. We'll see you next time, everyone. Bye-bye.